All right, guys, go ahead and grab a seat. My name is Ricky, one of the pastors here. Um, <clears throat> uh, the building that they were in was massive. It had so many different departments, many people working. All these different experiments were taking place. Some were about genetics, some were about radiation. This was a very interesting field trip. Um, and he was excited about this because he geeked out on all of this stuff. But, but he was also really nervous because joining them on this field trip was this girl that he liked. And he was really hoping to have this opportunity to just talk to her, to get to know her. And in all of this that's going on, he didn't notice that something was crawling on his sleeve. It just started, kept crawling up his arm, making its way towards his head, but he doesn't see it. All of its little legs moving. And then finally it gets up onto his neck and then bites in. And he felt the pain. But it wasn't, it wasn't too much, and, you know, so he didn't really, you know, just kind of says, ow, and, but doesn't think too much of it. Later on he feels sick. Something, something's happening. Something's up. Maybe he would feel better if he just slept. So he goes to sleep, and then the next morning, Peter Parker wakes up as Spider-Man. Right? And we, we all love that part in the movie. When, when the, the character that you're watching, when they, when they change, when they, they become this new person, when they're transformed. You know, and for, for Peter Parker, it's being bitten by a spider for... For Captain America, he has that, that, that serum and that experiment thing goes on. For Iron Man, it's that part where he gets locked in a cave and then he builds this suit of metal. Um, you know, even for Frodo Baggins, he, come, you know, he changes from this person that just this homebody. And then the next day, he, you know, after he meets the doors, he's like, hey, I want to go on an adventure. And we, we all love that, that change, that transformation that, that happens in somebody. That character development. But, but it's not really just that they, they gain some sort of ability, some sort of power, but they're also growing in, in virtue. They're growing in character. But every single one of these characters in these movies that we love, they all have one thing in common. They all have an encounter, a collision with something else, with some other person, and that's what gives them the transformation. That's what actually leads them on to a, to a new path, to a new life, is because they encounter something or someone. You know, and you as the viewer, when you're watching these movies, it all makes sense. Of course, someone would change drastically if they had an iron suit that could fly. We, we just expect it. Well, yeah, he's going to be a totally different person. Oh, yeah, for, if a radioactive spider bites into somebody, you know, we just expect it. Yes, this person is going to be totally new because of that kind of um, encounter that they had. Is, is that kind of change, is that kind of transformation just something for the movies? Or is it, or is it something else that, that we can experience Something like that. Well, I mean, we all kind of even want to have maybe some sort of, in, you know, encounter or change or transformation like that. And, and here, here's the odd part of it. For, for many of us, you know, maybe of all of us, 
We, we see something like that and we're like, yes, of course you would. Man, your whole life's going to be different. You're going to be different. There's going to be this giant change. But for us in the real world, we don't ever expect that kind of change or transformation when it comes to Jesus. Man, what if we had an encounter with him? What if we got to know him? What if we met this new person in Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe? I don't know if we could really expect any kind of transformation. Right? We don't have those same kind of thoughts. But what would happen to somebody that actually had an encounter with Jesus? What, what kind of, of change or transformation would happen? Or, or what kind of transformation would you think would happen? And not just for, for that person, but really for any of us. And so we're going to be looking at that today. Open your Bible to Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> Acts is in the New Testament, so it'll be about two-thirds, maybe a little bit more way through your Bible. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you've gone to Romans, you've gone too far. So back in uh, Acts chapter 8, <clears throat> we're, uh, you know, there's this guy named Saul. And by the way, if, throughout this, you know, many of you are probably more familiar with Saul as Paul, um, you know, because in a few chapters as he goes to the Gentiles, they, they name him Paul. Um, so if I refer to him as Saul, Paul, it's the same guy. So I'll apologize there. But, but um, you know, he's, um, you know, we see this conversion story uh, of, of him. And, you know, that, that there's this, you know, he's back in Acts chapter 8, and he's persecuting the church. He's, he's actually approving of someone's death. And... Um, he, he's going door to door, all of these things even helps make sure that Stephen dies, and then that's what leads up to here in chapter 9, verse 1. But it says, but Paul, or Saul, I already did it, uh, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He goes to the high priest and asked uh, for these letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, any that are following Jesus, any that are claiming his name, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I mean, the, Saul is on this huge mission. I mean, he's already been going door to door in Jerusalem, arresting men, women, throwing them in jail, helping this guy named Stephen get stoned to death, be put to death. And then that's just not enough for him. It's like, no, I need to take this you know, to the next town. Let's go to Damascus. And so he goes and asks for people in authority. He's basically like, hey, can I get warrants? Can I get these letters so that I could go to this place and arrest these other people? Throw them in jail, maybe murder them, kill them off. I mean, th this, I mean, if you just kind of read this, you're like, man, this guy kind of has some anger issues. I mean, th this guy is going more than just kind of having a heated discussion on Facebook. I mean, it's, come, it's coming off social media. It's coming into real world. You know, he's going all, I mean, even to these other places to do this, to maybe even have them put to death. And look at verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So he, they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. And so in this we see this conversion story, this, this um, story of, of Saul and Jesus coming into Saul's life, and not just making him from like 
hey, you're just, hey, let's switch you to a new religion, Saul. But hey, no, let's give you new life. This, this relationship that he has in Jesus. Saul was separated from Christ, but now he is united with him. And so in this story, I just want us to see through, uh, three truths that are in Saul's story that are really not just true for Saul, but for all of us. The first one is this. Jesus pursues people. Jesus pursues people, even the most unlikely. If you've been reading through Acts, Jesus comes to the, the, the apostles and says, hey, I want you to be my witnesses. You're going to get the Spirit, and you're going to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why? Because Jesus is pursuing people. He's wanting to, to reach people everywhere of all kind of different, you know, whether you're, you know, this race or that race, that ethnicity, live in this place, that place, this, you know, have this kind of money, whatever. And so we see that in chapter 1 and chapter 2, all these visitors are to Jerusalem speaking different language. God shows up. Chapter 3, there's a lame crippled beggar. Chapter 4, there, you know, we see God um, using people to reach out and to share the gospel with these religious uptight leaders. Chapter 5, men and women, the sick and the afflicted. Chapter 8, there's these people in Samaria that were not well liked. There's a guy named you know, Simon the magician. There's a eunuch. And then now chapter 9, it's Saul. Jesus is coming after people, pursuing them. For people to know him, to know of his love, his grace, his truth. To know how, how of their sin, but how Jesus saves him from their sin. I want you to notice in verse 3, it says this, Now as he went on his way, right? Saul is minding his own business in this. He's going this direction. He's doing his thing. I mean, this is so many of us that we're, we're kind of walking our own direction. We're doing our own thing. And then, boom, God intervenes. God steps in. Jesus speaks, shows up, maybe uh, speaks to you directly, or maybe it's through another person. Maybe it's just throwing, you know, showing up to a city group. Maybe it's showing up to church. Maybe it's through a coworker at, at, at your place of business. Whatever it is. But he thinks, Saul thinks everything seems okay. Life's just going on. But he doesn't know Jesus. He's dead in his sin. But Jesus is pursuing him. And, and, and maybe, you know, maybe you're here today and you, you're just kind of like doubting God. Maybe you're just not really sure who he is. Maybe you really even want nothing to do with God, but I just say God wants everything to do with you. You know, that he is pursuing you. This is God. Adam and Eve in the garden, they, they sin. They hide. God pursues. Moses, he's just watching some sheep. God shows up. God went and spoke to, to Isaiah. Again, another guy just minding his own business. Jesus even comes to earth, shows up in the flesh. Why? Because he is pursuing people. In, in one of the, the famous you know, stories that Jesus shares of the prodigal son, this wayward kid that goes off on his own way, does his own thing, uh, totally just kind of betrays his father in many ways, comes home one day to have this reconciliation with his father. But what happens? The father runs to him. Even the elder son who's kind of pouting in the back, the father goes out to him too. Jesus pursues people. He's pursuing you, whether you don't know him at all or whether you grew up in the church and have known him your whole, maybe you think you've known him your whole life. He's pursuing you. In, um, in Acts 26, when, when Paul is recounting his own story and what happened here. He, he 
adds something in Acts 26 that we don't see in this one that of what Jesus says to him. And he says that Jesus told him, it's hard for you. It's hard for you, Paul, to kick against the goads. And a goat is this sharp stick that would get the animal to go the right direction, a sheep or something like that. And sheep, I don't know if you've been around them, but they're, they're dumb. And it's like, oh, hey, food's this way. Let's go this way, but a sheep wants to go that way. Hey, safety is this way. They want to go that way. And so they'd have this goat to stick them to get them to go the right direction. Hey, you're going the wrong direction. Mm, I need to get your attention. And it, and it would maybe kind of hurt to just get them to go the right way. Towards and, and God does that in our lives. Sometimes there's this situation that happens and, mm, man, that doesn't feel good. That, man, that's awful. Mm, but it's like, man, I need you to feel that so that I could get you to go the right direction towards Jesus, towards salvation, towards life that's really found in him. Because Saul, I mean, he says, man, Jesus has been telling him, you've been kicking against the goats. I've been doing this. And you haven't been listening. And just a question for you is, man, have you been listening to Jesus in your life? Maybe just listening to the call of him, you know, just bringing you to himself. Or maybe there's something that, that Jesus kind of like, man, he's kind of poking you, kind of sticking at you, and you're just not listening. Are you listening to him, him reaching out to you, pursuing you? Second truth is you can't be too bad for God. You can't be bad enough, you know, for God to not save you. Saul is getting the, these letters to throw people in jail. And it's not because they committed a crime. It's not like, oh, hey, there's this group of people, and they're blowing stuff up. Let me go get them. No, it's like, hey, there's this group of people, and they believe in Jesus. And they're living in, the, in community with one another and sharing all things in common. Let's get them. Right? That, that's what Saul is doing. And, and, and he, he helped a guy get stoned, old school, right? I mean, I, I've, I've just never done anything like that, but that feels like that would be a really brutal scene to watch. And Saul's like, let's do it. Yeah, I approve of this. Let's make this happen. Let's just murder this guy. And, and then, you know, even Jesus says, Saul, man, why are you persecuting me? You're going against me. You're disobeying God. And when we read this story that Jesus is saving, saving Paul, this just seems crazy. I mean, this would be like the, the guy that's like farthest away from, from God that you could think of. I mean, the closest kind of comparison that I can think of is somebody like Osama bin Laden or ISIS. I mean, can you just imagine, oh, hey, you know, the, the leader of ISIS, it's in the news. He's given his life to Christ. I mean, that's just, I mean, can you imagine something like that? Or, or something like, hey, Thanos gave his life to Christ. Emperor Palpatine, Big Ten leadership. Man, they gave their life to Christ. What? <laughs> I mean, that's, that would be crazy, right? I mean, how could we believe that? And, and, and you know, somebody that's so lost, so wretched, even Paul himself in 1 Timothy he says that Jesus came to save sinners of who he's the worst. That's even how he later thinks of himself, that man, I am so far from God. I was just so bad, so lost. But, but Paul came to Damascus to arrest people, but Jesus arrested him. 
Paul came to Damascus to lay his hands on people, but Jesus laid his hands on him. Jesus, or Paul came to there to seize some people, but Jesus seized his life. And, and so if Jesus could step into somebody's life like that and save them, then he could do that in your life as well. Because some of you are thinking like, man, I don't know if really Jesus wants anything to do with me. Yeah, I get it. He loves everybody. But he's, when it comes to me, he kind of maybe only half looks at me. Because of what I've done. Because of something that's happened in my life. And you feel it. You feel this sin. You feel this shame. And it's not just when you're around other people, but it's even when you think about what, what does God think of you? You feel it. And there's this little question in your mind of just like, yeah, I, yeah, maybe God loves me, or yeah, he kind of does, but I don't know. And you question that. But Jesus stepped into this, and what I love about this is that this just shows us, hey, there is no sin that is too big for God. The cross screams to us, hey, there is no sin that is too big for Jesus. No sin that is too gross. No sin that is, you know, too you know, grotesque for Jesus to not just say, I paid for that. Because when Jesus, when in his last dying breath, says, it is finished. It is paid in full. He didn't say, I got most of it. Or, hey, I got, mo I got all of it for some of you, but some of you that are really yuck, you got some work to do. said, it is is finished. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He died for you while you were still a sinner. I mean, while you were still just at your worst in your sin. And He's paid the price for all of it. He knows your sin and shame. He knows everything. So just turn to Him for forgiveness, for acceptance, not because you've cleaned yourself up. I mean, Look at Saul. He is on his way to persecute people. He has not asked Jesus for forgiveness. He has not told Jesus that he is sorry. And Jesus steps in. And his sin is paid for. Why? Because Jesus paid for it. And so, I mean, whatever it is, I'm, take it to Christ and to rest, not in what you're doing, not in how sorry you are, not in, hey, I'll show Jesus at the, on the other side of this that I, that I can really clean it up. Rest in Jesus because of what He has done for you. And so know that you can't be too bad, too messy for Jesus, for Him to save you. And the third truth is this, you can't be good enough for Christ. You can't be good enough for God. You know, we think of Paul as this huge sinner. But everybody else around Paul wouldn't have thought of him that way. Neither would Paul. I mean, at this moment, he thinks that he's doing the Lord's work. He thinks that he's doing exactly what he needs to be doing. He's following the law. Hey, there's these people, and God, they're disobeying you. They're turning away from you. God, I'm so passionate about you, your law, your name. So I'm coming to correct this for you, God. I mean, in, in his day, Paul is an outstanding citizen. And an equivalent to today for Paul would be, this dude's on, on staff at a church. This dude's up here speaking. He's a pastor. But he's blind to his own sin, to his own separation from God. 
I mean, remember Jesus in Acts 26 says, Paul, you're kicking against the goads. Man, I've been poking at you. I've been sticking you, trying to get you to go the right direction, man, and you're just not doing it. You're so blind, Paul. And even his, his physical blindness just kind of reflects his spiritual blindness. Man, you just don't get it. You're missing it. You're missing Jesus. He has, man, Paul is rethinking his understanding of Jesus. He's rethinking his understanding of himself. If, because for him, I mean, when Jesus speaks to him, this is earth-shattering to, to Paul. Because in, in his mind, you know where Jesus is? Dead. He's, he's dead. Because he's just a guy. That's what he thinks. And so when Jesus steps in and says, hey, it's me, Jesus, whom you're persecuting, this changes everything for Paul. Like, whoa, wait a minute. You mean Jesus rose from the dead? Wait a minute, I thought Jesus was, was cursed. Cursed by God. You know, anyone, anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. That's what the scriptures say. He's cursed because he was crucified for his own sin because he claimed to be God. But wait a minute, if he's alive, if he rose from the dead, then that means that he's not cursed, he's blessed. But then that means that he didn't pay the price for his own sin. That means that he paid the price for somebody else's sin. Hmm. Paid the price for my sin. Even Paul says in Romans 7, man, apart, you know, apart from Christ, when I was in the law, I was, you know, he, he says like I was in good shape. I was alive. Meaning, hey, when, when I was just following the law, I was a good dude. I had a great self-image. I'm thinking I'm a good person. And so I think that, of course, I'm great with God. And that describes so many people in, you know, maybe even in this room, in, the, in, our, in our city. Hey, man, do you, do you know Jesus? Yeah. Well, why? well yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. You being a good person doesn't make you any more right with Jesus on your own than anyone else. It literally doesn't matter if you're better than your neighbor. You can't be good enough to make yourself right with God. You can't be good enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't you know, follow the rules and, and, and be generous enough or whatever is enough for God to like you more, to love you more, to accept you more. You know, it even just says that, and your good deeds, what you think are really good are like filthy rags to God. Because the reality is, is you're so, like on your own, you're so far away from God. You have no idea. You're so much worse than you think you are. But here's the good news. But you're so much more loved than you could ever imagine. You're so dead in your sin, separated from God, but man, you're so loved more than you could ever imagine, and that's why I came. That's why Jesus says, I came, I paid the price for your sin. You can't be good enough. It's only through me that this happens. So we can't be good enough for God. And, and yeah, it should seem, you know, when we read the story, it should seem crazy that, that God saved a, a, a person like Paul. But the same is true for you and me. It should seem crazy. You know, if you trust in Christ, it should seem crazy that God saved you. I mean, the, the grace of Jesus' his death we're, you know, moves us to not think that we're entitled to something because we're good people, but it moves us to this sense of, of wonder and awe. Man, God saved me by his grace. 
Can you believe that? That's insane. It's so good. I mean, I remember when I was younger, I mean, and I was just thinking about this. I was like, God, Jesus, I just don't get it. Why would you die for me? That just is dumb. Why would you do that? And I felt like the Spirit just spoke back to me, because I love you. And then it just brought the next question, but why do you love me? Because in the, like anywhere in this world, if somebody stinks bad enough, you don't love them anymore. That's not how this works, God. Why do you love me? And I felt like he just replied, because that's who I am. God is love. It's not because there's something lovely in you, Ricky. And that should always move us to this sense of awe and wonder of just the, the craziness, the absurdity. That man, I, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And he saved me by his love and by his grace. And so we see here that just, you know, in this part that Jesus saves us to himself. Next, next thing that we see is that Jesus saves us to a family. Look at verse 10. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. I love this part because Ananias is, is really being honest here with God. Oh, okay, God, you want me to go see Saul? Um, hey, um, I've heard from many people. I don't know if you've heard it, God. <laughs> But this guy is like persecuting people and, and everyone who calls out on your name. Hey, he, he's here to get me. And you want me to go to him? Uh, hey, I think this is kind of a bad idea. But I'm not really going to tell you that. I'm just going to be like, tell you about what I've heard so I could catch you up to speed here. Um, you know, and there's this kind of hesitation a little bit with Ananias, this, this ooh, resistance to what God's telling him. And, and, you know, we all have that in our life. You know, all of us have this, but God. Well, man, you see something in God's Word, you feel this leading by the Holy Spirit, uh, but God, I don't really want to do that. Oh, you see, you know, hey, God says something, oh, but God, that's really going to make me feel really uncomfortable. Uh, hey, hey, but God, then if I do that, then I don't get what I want. Uh, oh, but God, I, just, uh, I don't really feel like it. And, and then here's how God, uh, Jesus responds to him. Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go. For every but God you have, it just pales in comparison to, but the Lord said. Oh, I don't feel like it, but the Lord said. I don't want to, but the Lord said. And we're always just, you know, don't ever focus on whatever your, your but God thing is. Right? Yeah, I mean, think if Ananias doesn't follow here what, what God told him to. He's like, well, I know you said it, but whatever. I'm still going to go back to what I've heard from many people. He would have missed out on like seeing the, a miracle happen. That, that later on, Paul regains his sight. He would maybe miss out on, on just seeing how God uses him, how God uses Ananias in the life of Saul. 
And so whenever you focus on your but God, you're always going to be missing out on God's best and just being caught up in what God is doing. And so, you know, the Lord says, but, or, uh, verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings of the Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed, so he obeys, and, and entered the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which he came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales from it fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. I mean, this is just interesting to see how God works, because here's the thing. Why does God use Ananias at all? I mean, Jesus was already speaking to Saul on the road. He could have said whatever he wanted to. I mean, after three days, Jesus could have just said, hey, well, regain your sight, poof. And go be baptized. You know, Jesus could have directed him in everything, but he says, no, hey, I want you, Ananias, to go to him. And I think this is showing us because, hey, Jesus doesn't just save you to himself, to this relationship with just you and him. He saves you to a family. I mean, what are the first things, the first word that Saul hears from somebody else? Brother. That's the first words that Ananias says to him. Brother Saul. That's this, this word of embrace, this word of acceptance. Hey, brother, that means I'm your brother. We're family now. Why? Because Jesus saves people. Jesus enters into people's life. And Ananias has this understanding of the gospel. And he's like, hey, yeah, you don't just belong to Jesus. You belong to me, me as well. We're, we're, we're family in this. And, you know, I, I hear different people will say, well, you know, I really love Jesus, but I just don't love his church. And you know what? I, I get that. Every church has its warts. We have them too. But, but you can't say that you love Jesus and not love his bride. You can't say that you love Jesus and not love his body. I mean, like, what if I was like, hey, Christy, I totally love you, but I hate your body. Right? I mean, none of you would be like, yeah, try that out. <laughs> right? Because you're like, no, that, 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 that's, you can't do that, Ricky. That, that's, that's not how love really works. I mean, and think of this, so, so you can't say you love Jesus and hate his church. You can't say I'm committed to Jesus, but I'm not committed to the church, to his family. Because Jesus here doesn't give us that, that opportunity here. Even look at what Jesus says when he says to, to Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I mean, that's weird. If you're Saul, you're like, well, I'm not persecuting you, Lord. I'm persecuting them persecuting those people. But Jesus is like, no, you're persecuting me. I so closely identify with my church, there's no separation. You're persecuting me. Because, hey, I don't just save you to myself, I save you to a family. Ananias, go. This is how I work. My people speaking to other people. And then brother Saul, hey, you're invited into the family. Invited into this thing to belong to. This relationship's never just meant to be between us and Him, but between us and the family of God. And so he speaks this, this, this comfort, this acceptance that leads Paul to get baptized because salvation is not, just, you know, is, is, is not saving him to Jesus, but to this family. So he even 
identifies with the family of God. So then look at verse um, 19. The last thing you know, Jesus saves us to is this new life. He saves us to a new mission, a new purpose. Verse 19. Um, for, some, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And, he, and, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this man, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And, he is not, has, and has he not come here for this purpose? To bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So we see that Jesus saves, saves Saul, saves Paul to this new life, this new mission. They even say, hey, wait a minute, didn't it, it wasn't the purpose that he came to Damascus to, to get all these people and throw them in jail? Oh, yeah, but, but Saul's been given a new purpose, a new mission. People even recognize like, oh, man, hey, this is kind of weird, isn't Saul seems different. This guy is totally different. And, and so this just shows us that, be, you know, salvation is totally because of the finished work of Christ. We contribute nothing is by His grace, by His love, but then us growing in our relationship with Christ is a real thing. That, that you know, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says you're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Paul is this new person with new affections, new delights, a new mission. You know, in, in college, a football player can transfer from one school to another. And when they do that, they get, um, when you transfer, everything is new. You get a new coach, a new team, new teammates, new jersey, new offense, new defense. You live in a different place. You wouldn't go around practice with your new team wearing your old team's practice jersey. Right? Because you don't belong to that anymore. You have a new family, a new team, all of these things. Everything is new for you. You belong to that new team. And, and also that coach that invited you to the school didn't just say, hey, I just want you to come here. I want you to put on a jersey. And I just want you to enjoy the cool food that we get. I just want you to enjoy going on these cool trips and the, and the trainer's table. Come on. Right? The, the coach would never say that. Why? Because he said like, hey, I want you to come to my school to contribute. I want you to come to my school to get in the game. That's why I want you here. And Jesus doesn't just save us so that we could go to heaven when we die and, and never change or never be transformed, not join him in what he's doing. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I mean, we, you know, if you've heard it, we all love it. It says that by grace that you've been saved. It's a gift of God. It's not of yourself. You've been saved by grace, by undeserved merit because of what Christ has done. That's awesome. But then verse 10 says this. So it's like you've been saved by grace, by faith, for your God's workmanship, his masterpiece created in him to do good works. Hey, I've saved you to myself, but I've saved you for something. And it's not just so that you could not burn in hell forever when you die. Go to hell, heaven. It's so that you could join with me in what I'm doing. So that I could change you, transform you. Now remember hearing somebody say this, no change, no Jesus. No Jesus, no change. You know, and many times we want Jesus, but we don't want change. And look at verse 20 here. It says that immediately he proclaims. He's hanging out with the disciples for a few, few days, and then immediately he does this. You know, 
And, and Saul doesn't take all these classes. Hey, well, I would do something, but I don't know enough. I don't have all the answers. That's not it. He's just like, hey, I'm going with what I got. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go proclaim Jesus. I'm going to go proclaim the good news. People notice it. And Paul moves from, from persecutor to preacher. You know, in, in James 2, it says this. It asks this question. It says, what good is it? What good is it to have faith but not works? What, what good is it for if you're a Christian but you don't join in what God's doing? Right? What, what good is it if you've been saved by grace and you do absolutely nothing with the gift that you've been given? Right? What good is it if we have our sins forgiven but Jesus doesn't actually continue to change us, transform us over time? Right? I mean, I think we would kind of say, well, no good, right? I mean, that's kind of the answer. Well, hey, what good is it? Well, no good. That would be kind of useless. But if you've trusted in Jesus, he transforms you for a mission, for a purpose. To see, you know, more of, of him just being evident in your life. And now I don't want this to seem like, hey, you're, you're not changing fast enough, church. Hey, you're not behaving well enough. Uh, hey, chop, chop, let's get to changing. Right, because then that's you focusing on you to be like, hey, I could change myself. And here, what, what is this showing us? That Jesus changes us. Hey, so as we, we pursue him, as we surrender to his spirit, as we listen to him, as we read his word, as we just pray, as we're in community, God, please change me. I just want to surrender to you. Lord, please lead me. Please give me new uh, different delights, different affections. So that I might just, enjoy, I might love the things that you love. That I might hate the things that you hate. May I just enjoy you and just join in what you're doing. Because God, the more that I know you, of course I'd want to be living everything in my life with you and what you want to see happen. So do you see that change in your life? Do you see that happening? You see that transformation because you're coming to know Christ. And again, we would expect that kind of transformation when we see Peter Parker getting bit by a spider. Right? We would expect that to happen when Tony Stark gets trapped in a cave and builds a, a, a suit out of metal. But how much more should we even think that that would happen to you, to me, to us because Jesus saves us? By his grace, we would see this transformation because Jesus saves us to himself. He saves us to his, this family. And he saves us to a new life, to a purpose, because he is at work. He is alive in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, that, <clears throat> that you are alive, that you're at work. And Lord, um, you know, we just, we just pray, Lord, that, that you would... Help us to know you more. And because of your power, your grace, your gospel, Lord, may you continue to, to mold us and to shape us, to even just be more in awe and wonder of the salvation that we have in Christ. We ask this in your name. Amen.